Welcome to Mill Creek Church in Belleville, Texas, where our worship service is in progress. Today, Pastor Monty Bird continues with his sermon series on the Book of Romans. And now, Pastor Bird. When you think about where we are in society, the church has to engage people so they can hear the call of Christ. It's one thing for us to come together and congregate, which we're, we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be here. And this, and this body is ecclesia, the church, the called out ones. We're here to congregate. This is a sanctuary. It's where we gather as believers. But then we're supposed to go out, aren't we? Out and proclaim our faith for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as I think about my own salvation experience, and I was thinking about the wonderful poem, Hound of Heaven, which describes the call of Christ, and how Christ is always there, always calling, always inviting. And then that one day we come to a saving knowledge. Join me in prayer, please. Father, I just thank you that you gave us your son and that he called us to a saving grace. I pray, Lord, that we would share our faith with joy and with purpose with people that, who do not know you so that they can come to a saving faith and have a peace that surpasses all understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, turn with me in your Bibles to the 13th chapter of Romans as we continue our study. And we're making great headway. We were on verse 1 last week. We're on verse 1 this week. So definitely not a sprint. But turn with me to verse 1. We're going to read 1 and 2. It says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. As I made comment in previous sermons, Chapter 12 and chapter 13, Paul is instructing believers on how they should live within society. And as we begin chapter 13, Paul is instructing believers on how they should interact with the government. Last week I made mention that as Americans, we are placed in a system of democracy. In being in a system of democracy, you and I can and should work within the system in which we find ourselves in. And since Christ has called us to be salt and light, it is one way in which we can extol the truth and virtues of Christianity. We should work within the system. We should stand up for our rights within the system that we find ourselves in. I also made mention that we typically have international listeners through sermon audio, and it goes for them as well. 
even though they might not find themselves in a democratic system. Paul doesn't give exceptions, and in fact, if you think about the system which he found himself in, it wasn't appealing or favorable to Christians, to say the least. But yet he still gives this directive in verse 13, verse 1, that every soul should be subject to the governing authorities. Paul worked this system, as we saw in Acts chapter 9, as he appealed to Caesar, which was his right to do as a citizen of Rome. And we're to stay within that system until that system asks us to break a law or command of God. And then we're okay to practice civil disobedience. And I gave several examples in the Bible of people in the Bible who practiced civil disobedience. Daniel practiced civil disobedience. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego practiced civil disobedience. Peter and the apostles, as they were given the order not to preach the gospel, practiced civil disobedience. So needless to say... Christians should think and pray seriously as we interact with the government. There's no easy answer. But as we see in the second half of verse 1, the reason why we obey is in 13.1, part B, if you will. For there is no authority except from God... And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Now, this is a great verse to remind ourselves of the supreme sovereignty of God. God appoints all governments and all leaders. And a great reference to that can be found in the second chapter of Daniel. As Daniel praises God for revealing to Daniel's Nebuchadnezzar's dream. So if you will, turn with me in your Bible to Daniel chapter 2. As we look at Daniel praising God in Daniel chapter 2 verse 20. He says, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever for wisdom and might are his. And he changes the time and the seasons... He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with him. Here you can see in the second chapter of Daniel that God sovereignly picks rulers. This is reiterated in Job 12, verse 23. We'll read verse 23 through 25. Job 12, 23 says this, He makes nations great and destroys them. He enlarges nations and guides them. He takes away the understanding of the chiefs of the people of the earth and makes them wander in a pathless wilderness. They grope in the dark without light and he makes them stagger like a drunken man. 
Also, we see in Proverbs 21, verse 1, it reads, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. You can't read those three different scriptures without recognizing that God is in complete control. He chooses kings. He chooses nations. He causes kings to make pronouncements. Naturally, what comes up after this declaration is that how do you explain evil governments? How do you explain strange pronouncements? How do you make sense of governments that are on one hand evil or just incompetent? That answer is found in Romans chapter 9. We've already studied this. But if you look at Romans chapter 9, verse 14, Paul said, What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? His answer on a summary level is certainly not. And then he goes on to expound upon that answer. And in verse 15, he says, For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I have compassion. So then it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. For the scripture says to the Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, so that I may show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all the earth. Therefore he has mercy on whom he wills, and on whom he wills he hardens. Now when you read that, and by the way, Romans 9 is one of my all-time favorite chapters in the Bible. If you believe in Reformed theology, you kind of gravitate to Romans chapter 9. But you can read Romans chapter 9 and you can just live in that time of Moses and Pharaoh. But there's more to it than that. And so what we're going to do after reading Romans chapter 9, we're going to step back a little bit. Now, if you remember the story of Moses and the Hebrews and Pharaoh and the Egyptians, the Hebrews were slaves, right? They were slaves. And we could look at that verse just in that particular context between Moses and Pharaoh, but Let's go back a little bit, because you'll even have a better understanding. And let's go to the 15th chapter of Genesis, in verse 13. God is speaking to Abram, who would become Abraham, Father Abraham, the leader, the founder of not only the Hebrew people, but also we're grafted into that tree. And in Genesis 15, 13, he says to Abram, 
Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them, and they will afflict them for 400 years. It's a prophecy. Centuries before, God tells Abram, I'm going to create a people through you. He gives him the covenant promise of Abraham. But he says that your people will be in bondage for 400 years. Now let's go to Exodus 12. Exodus 12, verse 40, as Passover is instituted, where the Hebrews are freed from bondage. In Exodus 12, verse 40, it says, Now the sojourn of the children of Israel who lived in Egypt was... 430 years. That's what God said centuries before. And in verse 41, it reads, And it came to pass at the end of the 430 years, on that same very day, it came to pass that all the armies of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It is a night of solemn observance to the Lord for bringing them out of the land of Egypt. This is that night of the Lord, a solemn observance for all the children of Israel throughout their generations. Now, you have Pharaoh, and you have God telling Pharaoh, for this is the very purpose that I raised you up. This is the very purpose. And you can look at it at that very time and moment, and you could think to yourself, well, yes, that was true for Pharaoh. And unfortunately, most people in Christianity today have this kind of this deist view of God, that God has created the earth, and just as the deists believe, and he spins the earth up and lets it go, and then it's up to us to kind of figure things out and make decisions and fight for the good and all of that. But that's not true. And the reason why I bring up Abram in the 400-year prophecy, in Moses, in the Passover, in Pharaoh, is if you think about prophecy, prophecy involves two components. It involves a plan And it involves people. God has a plan, which is what he told Abram. You're going to be a people. And your people are going to serve in slavery. And then your people are going to be freed after 400 years. And then we see the picture of the Passover... And as we think about the Passover, the blood is put on the two doorposts, it's put on the lintel, which is the sign of the cross. See, the plan was always the cross. The plan was always the cross. And as God gives Abram his prophecy, there has to be people for the prophecy to happen. In other words, there has to be Pharaoh. In other words, there had to be a government. And there had to be a government, and God used that government to accomplish His purpose. So He looked at Pharaoh and He says, For this very purpose, I have raised you up. There had to be a Pharaoh. There had to be a Pontius Pilate. In order for there to be a Pontius Pilate, there had to be a Roman government. 
in order for Isaiah 53 to be fulfilled where the soldiers are casting lots, there had to be Rome, there had to be soldiers, there had to be the execution form of crucifixion in order for there to be a cross. God's in control. God is in control. And yes, while we should be concerned about all of the strife, all of the evilness, all of the things that we see in our world today, God is still in control. How easy it is for us to get together and we can twiddle our thumbs and we can be worried and we can have a Christian huddle. But my friends, the victory's already been won. The victory's been won. Is there evilness? Yes. Is there despair? Shouldn't be for the Christian. Shouldn't be for the Christian. You see it in Old Testament prophecy. God had a plan. He used the people to accomplish the plan. Now let's go to the New Testament. Let's go to Revelation 19. Battle of Armageddon. Revelation 19. Starting in the 19th verse. This is what John wrote. And I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him, referring to Jesus, who sat on the horse and against his army. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked the signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his images. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone, and the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds of the air were filled with flesh." It says at the battle of Armageddon that all of the kings of the earth would be gathered. In other words, as John wrote that prophecy, God is telling him his plan, and his plan always involves people, and his people always involve governments. Now, we could live under the form of a government of tyranny, under the hand of a dictator. We could live as we do right now under a government of democracy. And you might feel good or you might feel bad about the particular government that we have right now. But I tell you this, that not one government has existed without the hand of God. It may be to our judgment, or it may be to our blessing, but He is sovereign and He is Lord over all. So as we read back our focal passage, Romans 13 verse 1, it says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from who? From God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Now we as believers have to learn how to deal with that. Now, it doesn't mean that 
I get to, as a believer, be real excited when my guy is in, and then when my guy is out, I'm disengaged. What it means is, is that as a believer in a democratic system, I am going to stand up for truth and righteousness. And I can do that in the system. And it amazes me the number of Christians that do not go vote. But even without that voting, we get who God chooses for us every single election. Now, let's think back to the Hebrews. 430 years. 430 years of making brick. Doesn't sound like a lot of fun, does it? And in fact, the Bible says that God heard what? The cry of his people. He had a plan. He has a plan. That plan was to deliver to us Jesus Christ. He had a plan. And as you think about the Hebrew people, they toiled under a tremendous amount of burden in strife. But the plan was always to give us Christ. The plan is always for Christ to reign on his throne. And I'm sure for the Hebrew people that was in century one and century two and century three and all the way to that 429th year, things looked horrible. I mean, they go from Joseph ruling the country. They go from Joseph ruling the country to being an absolute slave. But the purpose was Christ. And as we come to grips with how we should live within our world, we have to recognize that the purpose is always for Christ to defeat all evil and to sit on his throne. Do I understand it? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But I know one thing, that when we all get to heaven and when we have the benefit of being in our glorified state through the power of Jesus Christ, I know that just as now you and I can look back at Isaiah 53 and say, why in the world did the Hebrews not see that? You know, we can do that, right? We can go back and look at Old Testament prophecy and think, why didn't they get that? Well, you and I have the ability to look back and see the the first coming prophecies to us as believers make perfect sense. And I know that when you and I are standing in the presence of God, and we look back, it's all going to make perfect sense. We've got to rest in that. And in fact, I would argue that resting in the sovereignty of God is the only thing that is going to give you peace in this moment. 
as believers, as we look at a world that's falling apart, as we look at an America that looks far different than the America that you and I grew up in, the only peace that you have is Jesus Christ. The only peace is recognizing that the victory's been won and it's just countdown. It's just countdown till he comes back. I can rest in the power of Christ. I'm not going to find rest trying to fix the evilness of the world because it cannot be fixed without the Lord Jesus Christ. The only thing that I can do is to proclaim Christ. And I would make the argument that in every single thing that we do, whether we're at work, whether we're at church, whether we are practicing our rights of being an American citizen, it all needs to have one common theme, and that is the proclamation of the Lord Jesus Christ. I can rest in His sovereignty. I can have peace in His sovereignty, knowing that the victory has been won, and one day He's going to gather us all together as we're surrounded at His throne in peace, and in victory. And I long for that day. Join me in prayer. Father, we just thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for your word. And I pray, Lord, that we would rest in your power. I pray, Lord, that we would take your truth and proclaim it to a lost and dying world. I pray, Lord, that this church might be a beacon to those that do not know you, that they might find salvation and peace and forgiveness through the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as Pastor Bird continues this sermon series. If you wish to hear more, you may find him at millcreekchurch.org or go to sermonaudio.com slash Mill Creek Church. Prayer requests may also be left at millcreekchurch.org. Our church services are as follows. Sunday morning Bible study is at 9 a.m., followed by our worship service at 10 a.m. We have Wednesday night prayer meeting and Bible study, and they are at 6.30 p.m. For more information and our mission statement, please visit our website, milkcreekchurch.org